Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. And today we have a special crossover episode. Uh, Zach Bartles is not joining me today, but Nathan Bartleball is. Nathan, how's it going, man? I'm doing well. Will I actually be like on the show this time? Yeah. I mean, will this show be – is this real? <laughs> It's not going to be like another Stranger Things. <laughs> right. Which, which, by the way, did we ever come to a conclusion whether – what you guys are arguing over whether I'm a – what was it, a, a a Mike or a Dustin? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, forget, I forget which one we, we categorized you as. <laughs> well, it sounded like Zach was reticent to, to – uh, to to peg me as Dustin, um, I think he was. I think he was saying Mike, and you went with Dustin. I liked your thinking. I if I if I get a say in it, I would. <laughs> I think Dustin was a reasonable a reasonable conclusion. Yeah. Although I, <laughs> I think there were statements made like, oh, you know, a little more scholarly, or always seems to kind of know the the base of what's going on. And I'm pretty sure that episode ended with a chunk, a clip of me saying something like, I am an eighties robot. (laughs) So I don't know. I think there's a, I think you're quite generous there. That was, that was also the, uh, the episode that had the single greatest line from you about what was it? Watching screen four or like, yeah, I don't think I saw that one. It was like, wait a minute. I reviewed that. Oh, it, it started, I believe it was, I don't believe, I didn't know they made a screen for it. And yeah. I, not only did I review it, I found that I did review it, it's still online somewhere, and apparently I was like slightly positive about it, but apparently not that positive <laughs> that I remembered it. So, and, and in reading the review, I didn't remember anything about it either, so, uh, which I think which may lead into an interesting conversation later in regards to in regards to horror movies a little bit but yeah i'm doing great nathan how about you nice yeah i'm doing i'm doing well uh you know school uh for both of us uh is in full swing you have a family full of uh back to schoolers now uh not only uh did technically you- everybody's a student right now except me yeah yeah you have your two children that started last week uh day after labor day and then uh your your wife Jen started back up as well with her masters, correct? Yeah, yeah. So everybody, everything is a little uh, it's a little crazy right now, but it's a lot of fun. Nice, it's going well, nice. That's great. Yeah, and you know, same here. Joy and I are back into the uh, the swing of things, and uh, so off to off to a rolling start. Excited to see what the year has to has to. Summer offer. really seemed to melt away, didn't it? It did. Like you know, it seems like it was just here and then gone again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's I, I feel like that's interesting because maybe we can talk uh, a little bit about that. Um you know, summer has always been up and down for me in terms of uh movies and what's coming out and what's available. Sometimes you get the great summer blockbusters. Uh, and, and Joy and I have summers where we look at it and we're like, eh, you know, I mean, th- this isn't really a year where we're going to go see things. Other times it's like, man, th- it seems like there's a movie coming out every week. But I feel like now we're getting into, you know, the the fall and winter release of things where, you know, I- I'm actually really looking forward to um, – uh, and I talked about this a few weeks ago on, uh, you know, the – 
True, these go to eleven podcast, not the crossover one that we're doing. But Zach and I, the true, as if this is like the fake <laughs> this one, is like the, the tarnished this- one. You already, <laughs> have like thrown it under the bus. This is like the, it still needs to go to eleven, man. <laughs> uh, the um, but yeah, you know, so I'm I'm looking forward to uh, the rise of the Skywalkers. Back when Zach and I What's were that? What's that movie about? Rise. Of oh, Star not World. Rise of. The... I've never heard about that. Yeah, no, I'm just teasing him. <laughs> I'm pretending like somebody in the world doesn't know what a Star Wars movie is. I think that's the right time, right? Rise of, I, rise, yeah. of rise of the Skywalker. I think there's I think no S so. on the end. So, oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, Rise of the Skywalker. Um, so I'm looking. I'm actually looking forward to that. Some of the trailers I've seen are good. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are. Uh, huge into star wars and they're already trying to guess and all that stuff and i feel like you know trailers nowadays are just trying to misdirect you so i'm just going to wait till it comes out and see what happens maybe i can make a prediction now that will cause someone to get angry like i did (laughs) the first time you guys had me on the show i think i made or second time i made some sort of reference uh, about something i thought might be happening based on the force awakens trailer which was was completely wrong right uh but that somebody you know i think like oh great way to spoil that (laughs) right right uh, i did i have heard a couple interesting theories or thoughts about that title um that the that rise of the skywalker there was a thought out there might have been kevin smith or somebody that suggested that skywalker maybe is referring to more like a title or a new birth of of the jedi religion because we see we've had the last jedi now we have the rise of the skywalker and that Skywalker might be a new sort of following, if you will, you know, mm-hmm. a new uh, religion in the galaxy. You kind of see some of this happening at the end of last, the the Last Jedi. I guess spoilers for that of anyone who hasn't seen it, right. where you, you see them telling the story of Luke Skywalker. I mean, they they were doing a little bit of this, you know, in the other movies, but the 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 little kids are reenacting the battles uh, where he has the battle. Uh, that occurs, I guess it's a battle. It's not really a battle, but right. when he sort of fakes everybody out at the end of uh, The Last Jedi, uh, and there, there are hints and, and movements towards that. So I wonder if the rise of Skywalker is not necessarily the rise of the family name, but maybe something that's a little bit bigger, you know, that if the Jedi were sort of faulty, uh, you know, the First Order replaced the Sith in a sense. The Sith are still underneath the First Order. Right. So I don't know. It could be interesting. It, it could be uh, I'm not. I don't know how I feel about the fact that we're bringing the Emperor back. We have literally all <laughs> the old bad stuff. It's back. So we've had Death Stars now. The Emperor, the Emperor's voice or, right. or his his cackle, that iconic laugh, and Ian McDermott is in the movie. So I don't know. I at the at this point with Star Wars, like most of these other franchises, I just trying to walk in and see what happens because yep. I feel like I do much better that way. I walked into the Last Jedi, and I actually was probably. Um, I think you and I even did an episode, but I, I was um, probably more positive on that movie than a lot of people because I just kind of walked into it with my kids and we had a good time. And there mm-hmm. were there were things I liked, there were things I didn't like, but overall, I uh, I appreciated it. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. One of the other ones that um, I talked about, and uh, we we will get into our our topic, but uh, one of the things that I was looking for, looking forward to, was on Netflix the the Dark Crystal series. Have you had a chance to watch any of that? So my kids and I and Jen have watched about three, four episodes of it, and I'm really enjoying it. I. Yeah. Love the Jim Henson creature shop, and I uh, and and I feel like in recent years, uh, particularly since the death of Jim Henson, they had the witches. But after that, they didn't really didn't feel like they did anything that had quite the same passion and energy behind it. 
uh, and the focus as they had when when Henson was alive. I mean, he was doing a lot of kind of groundbreaking stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's only so far that you can kind of push that particular art form that he had, kind of with that uh, Muppets and puppets uh, perspective that he had towards towards special effects. And of course, everything kind of went more the way of CGI. So it's really nice to see this come back and be, I think, probably one of the most uh, impressive. Mm-hmm. constructed pieces that, that the Henson Creature Factory's done. And so far, what I've seen, it's much it's a much better piece of work, a much better piece of art than the original Dark Crystal, which yeah. I love the costumes and the Skeksis and the Gelflings. But yeah. even as a kid, I always felt that that movie is a little cold. Um, they don't quite get enough emotions out of the little puppets. Mm-hmm. And the story is sort of boilerplate fantasy. You know, yep. you got a dark you got a bad thing here and you have some good characters here and you've got this mysterious force in the middle, but it, you know, it doesn't have a lot to differentiate for it. I don't, I don't connect to it the same way I connect to like the never ending story or even labyrinth a few years later where you've got Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie. So they kind of anchor the movie. This uh, has a much more uh, deeper storyline running through it and the puppet effects mixed with some CGI are getting some actual kind of performances there. And I, I feel like this is the thing they were trying to go for in mm-hmm. 1982. And it's nice to see them really trying to pay off the stories and to create a, a textured and multifaceted world. Yeah. And at three episodes in, I feel like I'm just now starting to be able to differentiate the Gelflings. That's still a problem to right. be able to tell one <laughs> Gelfling from the other. Yeah. But they're starting to develop their stories. Jen and I have both kind of come to the conclusion that this is Game of Thrones for children. <laughs> <laughs> and and anyone who's seen both, you probably don't have to see both to see the connection. But um, I will say it's not – there's a darkness to it. Uh, and that darkness is pivoted around that PG, PG-13 level. Yeah. But uh, because we're dealing with puppets and Muppets, I think they're getting away with a little bit more there. But so far, it's a compelling and interesting story. And I'm impressed kind of just that it exists. You know, I'm just happy. It, it could have been mediocre, and I'd still be happy it's there. Yeah. But so far, it's really interesting. Yeah. No, I agree. And I'm uh, I'm further ahead i just finished that oh so you you have seen some of it oh you yeah some of it. yeah oh, cool. I, I thought you okay yeah no. i was trying to be kind of vague about everything i didn't yeah okay oh yeah no i've I'm, I'm on either episode six or seven and i can tell you like it it seems that they really do a good job at increasing that level of uh performance uh i i one of the ones that I just watched, it was either, again, it was either six or seven. And like, there were just, there were moments that I'm watching it. And I, and I was like, man, I, I forgot I was just watching this puppet show, you know, that they're, they're actually doing such a good job with bringing these characters to life that I, I don't feel like I'm watching, you know, just Jim Henson and the puppets that there's actually, a, like you said, there's a deeper layer going on. It, it does have, you know, um, some darker elements to it, but those are even played off. I, I would say those are played off even more, um, you know, uh, reminding me, and we're going to talk a lot about nostalgia, but it, but it reminds me of some of the darker elements that we saw um, through different shows and movies and things like that in, in the early 80s. And, um, you know, as a child, you'd watch those things and it, it wasn't over the top in some cases. Now, in some cases, it was over the top, um, but in, in in some cases, it wasn't. The story was very well done and written that you didn't have to go into, um, you know, such dark, gritty, you know, um, 
to tell the story. And so I feel like they've done a good job at portraying those serious uh, modes and elements within the story and really, you know, doing a good job with that. So, um, yeah, I think that is, go ahead. I think that is kind of the, the, uh, the nuance and the artistry that Henson brought to his stuff is in this as well. And I, I think the, to your point, you're right. Let me back up. I, I was talking about it being dark. It's really no darker than the original story. I guess what's interesting is, and this is kind of where that craft comes in. If this were a live action uh, storyline, it probably by default would be darker. Yeah. Uh, because uh, if this involved human characters, this would be darker and maybe a little more troublesome. And they've pitched it at that level of fairy tale where they're able to deal with these dark elements in a way that isn't going to push uh, families who want to watch this away. Yes. Uh, I think you definitely may want to watch an episode if you've got super young kids. I'm showing it to my my children, and they're enjoying it. But outside of that, it's still uh, it's in that same vein. It's still a part of that legacy of what Henson was doing. I was really yes. disappointed last year. I didn't see the movie personally, but I know that they did this movie. I think it was called The Happy Time Murders or oh, something. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just really raunchy. Uh, the Jim Henson and I think Brian Henson maybe even directed it. They they went all out to kind of make the puppets and the Muppets raunchy, and it was sort of like I'm not really interested in that. Like that was not what drew me to this particular art form. Right. And so it's nice to see the Dark Crystal kind of really honed in on that. Yeah, uh, which I, my, one of my favorite scenes so far, and I, this isn't really a spoiler because of the nature of it. There's just a scene early on at first or second episode where you're just watching a small one of these little characters uh, just groom themselves in the morning, like when they wake up and they're combing yes. their hair and they're and just that scene in itself beyond all these visual creatures and things that are going on reminded me of what what I love so much about Henson and his and his puppets and his Muppets. Yes. Yeah, it's it's it is it's it's the nuances bringing bringing these characters to life. Even you know, it, it's something that you would see in some of these great shows. You know, like Game of Thrones, like Breaking Bad. You know, somebody. Uh, and again, it's not that level, obviously. No, no not at intensity, all. Yeah, it's, but, it's on the PG. Right. My Game of Thrones reference is that they're weaving so many storylines, and they're not afraid to get in and have like some palace intrigue. And some layers to the stories and a mythology that slowly builds. Usually in a kid's fantasy, you try to throw all the elements up front so everybody knows who's the, who the heroic characters are, who the villainous characters are, and then we're all laid out and then the rest will just be fantasy uh, skirmishes or escapes and rescues. And then we'll get to the end and everything will get wrapped up exactly the way you expect it to be. Yeah. That's not what's happening here. Yeah. Yep. Now, do you know, Nathan, um, is this supposed to be a prequel or a sequel or do you Nyquil? Know? Uh, it's not yeah, Nyquil. I know, right? I'm just um, it's a, I, I believe it's a prequel. Um, I have, again, I'm not as far along as you. It does seem like these events that are happening, unless it's intended to be uh, a, a side quill, if you will, you know, more right. like a, a a separate reimagining. I'm not sure. It does seem like this would be a prequel. There's a there's a set of characters I've not seen. I'm not sure if they get brought in that exist in the Dark Crystal that don't that I have not seen yet. That were a major component of the old the old story. Um, and I haven't seen them yet. I it, it does seem like there are characters that are uh, that are alive here. The characters I recognize that are alive that were not alive in the Dark Crystal that are that are much older. So I'm pretty certain it is a prequel. I just haven't quite. I've I've 
specifically not read anything about it and I'm yeah. just sort of taking each episode at a time and nice. I'm probably not a dark crystal scholar to begin with so right. I don't um, <laughs> I'm basically going off my memories of watching the movie uh, a few years back because yeah. I because my understanding or, or suspicion that it was a prequel I was going to show this first and then let the kids see the other one um, just to get a, a handle on it because I I think in this case it actually may be more beneficial to the old movie uh, to see it after this, so they get a kind of his- historical feel for it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it was even longer when, uh, when I saw it. I remember I, I watched it a lot when I was a kid. It was one of my favorite, uh, favorite movies. But, um, you know, just growing up and getting into teen and adulthood years, there wasn't a whole lot of people who had an appreciation for for the movie or even saw the movie. And so it, it, well, it has been a number of years since, since I've seen it. So I'm going to finish this up and then go back and, and watch the movie, uh, to get, you know, try Which to conveniently Netflix has put, has put on there as well. So right. You can right. Kind of watch it all in one place. Yay. Netflix. Uh, nice, nice. Well, we are, um, here talking, going to be talking about, uh, it, and horror movies and we'll kind of see where the conversation goes but we're going to start off talking about it um you know many of the listeners might be you know there uh listening to me say that and like man we just heard a podcast a few weeks ago where you know nathan's like he doesn't really watch horror movies and yet he's going out and seeing it you know what's up with that um I remember, and you were up all night for watching yeah, from cemetery. from watching uh, pet cemetery yeah I'm, dude i'm telling you that like that little girl was just absolutely freaky. And to me, it was just, it was, it was a testimony of how good she was as an actress, being able to go from this sweet, innocent, um, child into this, uh, you know, nightmarish character, um, was just, it, it, it blew my mind and it surprised me. And, and I think that's probably what it was. It surprised me in such a way that it just, it, it left me with this creepy feeling like the, these chills when I think, when I think about, um, her performance in that, which you actually had a different take because you weren't as impressed with the movie, correct? Uh, so, and part of this is I've read the book. I, I saw the old movie and have uh, I saw the new movie as well, and the and the not so great sequel to the old movie, like in the mid nineties. I think that had like Edward Furlong in it. Uh, yeah, but movie aside, the overall movie aside, I I agree with what you said. Uh, she did. She probably gave the most interesting performance in the movie. I thought um, that uh, the actress playing her mother also did a really great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, those two, and 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 they pivot off of each other, particularly towards the end. I think even more so than um, uh, than the the Lewis Creed character in this particular version, who's the father. Yeah. And what we're talking about here, I mean, it's minor spoilers for Pet Cemetery, but we're talking about a a kind of child returned from the dead and not returned in uh, the the fashion that they thought the child would be returned in. And I think that the creepiness that you kind of felt there uh, were testament to two things. One, uh, her performance, and it's historically been a case that is really hard. It it seems I think everyone wants to play the villain and wants to play the monster or the creature, uh, and we can think of lots of examples of where it's been done great. Uh, We'll probably talk about a couple here in a minute directly tied to it. But I think it's notoriously hard, actually, to get a good performance when you're playing something that has a lot of other elements to it. Like when you're under the makeup and you're under the effects, I think it's harder, not easier, 
uh, to get lost in that. So it's actually kind of a minor miracle, I think, when we have a a, a character that can, particularly a young character, the, the little boy who played uh, Gage, Amico, uh, I think it was Miko Williams in the original movie. Um, he uh, he, it was a little silly and a little weird. He was also very very young, and it was kind of weird and unsettling to see him in that role. Uh, she's she's relatively young as well, but it's just uh, her performance mixed with I think the underlying plot that like the underlying themes that Stephen King was was. Uh, shooting for in the original novel is what comes through. And I think that's why we're still making movies uh, based off of his books uh, mm-hmm. and why we still see these things being trotted out. Speak underneath, I think he really has the ability to hit the currents of what uh, what's disturbing or what's unsettling to us. And uh, he had once stated that with Pet Cemetery, he started with the very basic thing of uh, the death of a child and the finality of that event in a life is really about all the horror you need at the baseline for a, for a story like that. And I think that speaks to why that still works. Even if the movie is, you know, so, so mm. you've got this strong idea and some strong performances in there. Yeah. Yeah. But we, uh, so I had not, we, we come up to, I don't know, what was it about two weeks ago and you had texted me and you were like, Hey, uh, we're going out, uh, with Greg, I'm going out with Greg and his boys to see, uh, the movie, the second, chapter of it would you be interested and uh, i love your comment because you prefaced it right away you know it's more like a stranger things horror type thing not pet cemetery and i was yeah because like, yeah, i just heard you talk yeah. the podcast and i that was my hook i asked greg first and i said okay well i'm gonna check with nathan and i'll should i lead with uh um don't what's out because the 13 year old's coming right right <laughs> <laughs> In, in jest, of course, but um, uh, that's hysterical. Um, so yeah, I was like, you know what? I'll I'll give it a shot, but I've got to get caught up on uh, chapter one because I haven't seen that yet. And actually, I was intending to to see that one. I just had not gotten around to it. And you're like, well, I've got it. Why don't you come over and we'll watch it before before it comes out? So I ended up going over to your house over uh, Labor Day weekend, and. Uh, you know, we sat down and watched it with our own running commentary in the background. Um, and uh, I enjoyed it. I really did. I thought it was, uh, you know, really well done. I liked it. Um, I was trying to remember, um, based on the, f- the, the first, uh, movie that came out, things that went on. Um, and, you know, you and I had talked about that. It had been, uh, such a long time since I had seen that. I remember seeing it when it first aired on television and then a couple times after that, but um, I really, it, it had been such a long time. And so we were kind of going back and forth with that. Um, and I remember finishing it, finishing the movie and being like, you know what, that, that was really, it was a good movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it had that uh, 80s nostalgia feel like uh, Stranger Things does and like so many of those 80, 80s movies did, you know, the sense of uh, adventure, the coming of age story, just all these elements were put into that movie. And I really I really thought it was very well done and enjoyed it. Um, what were your thoughts on it, Nathan? 
Well, and, and before we go there, let me ask you a question because we, we talked briefly, but the movie had finished up. At, both of these are very long movies. Yes, yeah. And it's funny because even though we saw them together and, and we saw the other one with Greg and his boys, we didn't really get a lot of time to talk about them because at that point of the evening, you're sort of like, right. <laughs> I don't think when we watched the one here at the house, uh, that we watched here in the projector, I don't think we started until like nine o'clock or something. And so it was yeah. like, by the time we were done, it was like, yep, see you, see you right, later. Right. And it was about the same thing when we were all leaving. Um, you know, we had about five or ten minutes. So, But my question to you is, as a, uh, as a horror film, did you, how, did, how did you feel about it as a horror movie? Was it, uh, did it play for you the same way Pet Cemetery played, or was it different? Because I have a kind of feeling about why this movie's been so successful. But I was curious to hear your thoughts as someone who's not a huge fan of the genre. Yeah. Did you feel it was an, uh, uh, too intense or – No, I, I really didn't. Um, it, I, I don't know. And honestly, I don't know that I could sit there and pinpoint specifically – why there are certain movies like what is it about certain movies that disturbs me more than others you know what what is that reaction um but it didn't have the same feel to it it was it was different i think part of it was um these uh, these kids are actively fighting against the evil and they're you know they're coming together and they're they're overcoming it um, where where Pet Cemetery just seemed like it was the, there was attempts at fighting, but but evil basically won out in that movie, um, and you know so I don't know if that was part of it, um, but I really can't nail down specifically. But it did to me have such a different feel to it than Pet Cemetery did. Uh, there was a sense of hope and a sense of victory that came from this, and I think. Even if Pet Cemetery had ended with, uh, you know, these people being uh, wiped out, you know, these uh, undead people um, being wiped out, that it, it still wouldn't have had the same the same feel as this because all it, it would have been all still would have been lost. Um, and in this, there wasn't there wasn't that sense of all was lost, even even though there. Are, um, some uh some some tragedies and casualties that come about uh in this movie um and and so that's i think that's the best that i can do to kind of narrow that down but there there was to me a a very distinct difference in i i I wouldn't have necessarily considered this a horror movie as as such um and i guess part of that is just my reaction to the movie it wasn't it wasn't scary in that way. No, that's good. I think that that is, um, I mean, I think uh, what you were saying kind of backs up what I've heard from a lot of people and the feeling that this is in a way a horror movie for people who don't normally enjoy horror movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny to think of Stephen King this way because he's so tied to horror. Uh, I think of King really more as almost like a, uh, whether whether you think he's a super great writer or not, I think he is very much in the vein of like a modern day Dickens. Yeah, uh, just in the kind of work that he does and his humanist bent and the stories and the characters that he uh, brings to life. He he kind of uh, he does tend to write in genre in a particular genre and particularly these two, it and uh, and 
a pet cemetery were written at a point where that was pretty much all he was doing and all he was really known for. Mm-hmm. But he has the ability to evoke a lot of different human emotions and the storyline in the, it, 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 particularly the first movie we're talking about where we're dealing with these young kids going against this force of evil in their town and sort of having to come together. You're right. It has like an empowerment vibe to the overall arc of the story. You're dealing with people who are helpless in a sense. These kids are, maybe even more helpless than the adults because no one wants to listen to them, or at least that's the way it seems. And they're able to band together and, and become stronger than that. And I think that that's what sort of sets it apart. So all the horror elements that are there are easier, uh, go down a little easier. I remember I was very young when I saw the movie aliens and I'm not recommending anybody show someone (laughs) the movie aliens at a super young age, but I remember being sort of like initially freaked out a little bit, but so much more invigorated by that movie than, and, and not as freaked out by it as maybe even some PG-13 horror movies I'd seen, uh, primarily because of what you talked about, the tone. The tone of Aliens versus, say, the tone of Alien yeah. uh, is dark and it's moody, but it's also uh, – there's an empowerment to it. Uh, you have the survivor of the previous film coming in with the, the, the Marines, and the Marines are sort of having to rely upon her, and you're watching – uh, someone go from a place of helplessness to uh, to hopefulness and and resistance against evil. I think that's to me one of the things that works in horror movies. I think we were talking a long time ago, and you were saying, "Well, I'm not, not really a fan of horror movies. I feel like I, you know, I think I have enough like uh, fighting skills that I can right. take out like a killer or something." Which is an interesting, which to me always felt like a super reduction of like of a very specific kind of horror movie. But I think like. To me, the horror movies that are very jarring or jolting are the ones that deal with the concept of helplessness. Like mm-hmm. the thing about pet cemeteries is that helplessness of like it doesn't really matter what ability or skill or or wealth that I have. Like he can't get to the road in time to stop the truck yeah. and his child. And it's just it all everything else spirals from there, and everything is in the face of helplessness and helplessness. And King captures it so well, but I'm like, I just as soon wish you hadn't. You know, right, right. it's a feeling where I walk away from a movie like that and a book like that, and I just feel kind of um, almost just downtrodden. You're sort of like you don't want to really talk to anyone. You just feel kind of moody, and you just want to kind of just be alone. Right, right. And I don't think that that was the case with it. Um, I like the movie for a lot of the same reasons you did. I have enjoyed the book. I thought that they did a nice job of distilling. Uh, the book is so huge and so sprawling, and it covers so much ground that mm-hmm. deciding to take the younger segments of it and break it off was probably smart. I feel like the miniseries, which I think starred like Jonathan Brandis, uh, was the my primary child actor. Seth Green was also in it. Yeah, I think Seth yeah. Green was young Richie Tozer in that one, who's kind of the young um, – you know, comedic class clown kind of kid who's a part of their group. And those were the strongest elements I remember of that, that segment. Of course, this story involves a, a monster that is snatching up the children of the town of Derry. And it primarily manifests itself. Most everyone probably already knows this as a clown. It's not um, the only form that it takes, but it's the primary form that it uses to uh, on one hand, draw, unsuspecting people in and on the other hand he uses it to sort of torment these kids yeah. uh, who have be, all become sort of simultaneously aware of it and uh, uh, yeah the performances were really good uh, particularly the kids Finn Wolfhard who was in Stranger Things was given a, uh, a really I actually 
probably in a lot of ways kind of like his take on Richie a little bit better than Mike. Like it was fun to see him in Stranger Things and like, oh, but I, I think I was more impressed with him coming out of um, seeing it. Uh, yeah, he's he, he's the one who gets a lot of the foul language and things like that. But and it's easy, I think, to see that performance is maybe a little bit just irritating, mm-hmm. you know, but I yeah. think that's kind of his point. Like I, I I feel like if we if we hung out with a group of kids it was made up of a lot of different segments of people at any time in our life. We probably had a kid like that. Right. Particularly right. in the eighties, there was always, you know, if you're a bunch of latchkey kids, that kid is always there. Like he's just turned around and he's sitting at the dining room table or he's sitting out on your stoop and you never know where he's going to be next. Yeah. And he's always the one that when they leave, your parents say, and then I have no idea why you guys hang around with him. Right. <laughs> he's the bad influence in your life. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I thought, um, I thought the performances were, uh, were great as well. There was no, I, I didn't feel like in this movie there were any wasted moments. I felt like everything, um, was done very purposefully and, uh, directly. And you got to really see, uh, these characters develop and, and how and why they came together in this purpose and in this mission. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's giving anything away, you know, um, the, the, you know, the initial kind of bond with them is, you know, um, Georgie, uh, has disappeared and, uh, you know, that's kind of the initial bond, but they're also coming together, um, and, and really being thrust into this adventure for, for other reasons. And I, I thought it was very well done how those reasons were brought in. And I thought it was, it, it was interesting in, in, you know, again, there's just, there's such a great sense of nostalgia, but not in, not in kind of a throwaway, we're just going to token this thing, but in, in really purposefully driven and directed, um, Again, very much I think the same way the Duffer brothers have done Stranger Things. It's just very intentional and it's things that you remember from the time and, and personalities that you remember in, you know, these, these adventures. Of course, you know, I never had an adventure where I was going after a killer clown, but like I remember the adventures I had with my friends and, and this just has that feel to it within this story. Uh, yeah, Stand By Me, which is also based off a of King uh, novella, actually, uh, this has a lot in common with that. And I think the common thread, particularly with King, is uh, – and he's been doing this for pretty much his whole career. And you could say he's probably uh, rung the rung the stone one too many times for that as well. But his nostalgia is not based off of nostalgia for a specific time period. You know what? We get a lot of nostalgia movies these days, which is very, hey, remember the 80s or hey, remember right. this. And what it's really trying to say, whether you're making something uh, – I mean, even Wolfhard last year was in a movie called Mid Nineties, you know. So it's like as we get older, we realize there's new decades for people to be nostalgic about. But the nostalgia really comes from one thing. I mean, not one thing. I I don't think there's a ton of people that were probably in their 30s or 40s during the 80s. Maybe there are who are like, yeah, the 80s. You know, uh, it's about the nostalgia of the time was when you were growing up, yeah. when you were transitioning through your childhood, and that feeling king it's interesting because it the original novel came out in 86 so the modern day components when these this losers club comes back together as adults occurred in the um uh in the 1950s the children's segment did and the 80s was the modern day at that point you know yeah. so uh but it's funny and it's probably helpful because you have this 
this New England town of Derry, which is already a little kind of behind the times and corrupt, uh, corrupted by the force that is living there in the town in the form of this monster, this demon, or this force, whatever it is. And that uh, that makes it so that it, it, it's easy to kind of transition. It's funny that when they transition uh, Derry from being a place in the 1950s to a place in the 1980s, not not a whole lot changes for these kids in terms of the storyline. Right, you know, it's interesting. Right. We've got a we've got different movies on that marquee. Uh, they play arc- arcade games now. You know, is where they were down at the malt shop. You know, in the 50s version. But if you notice, a lot of the undertones of the of the racism that uh, Mike Hanlon experiences is still there in the town of Derry. Uh, a, a lot of the same kind of mindsets and things are going on. So what he King's tapping into is kind of the nostalgia of what it was to be a child and see everything in a different light where there were, there was magic in a bicycle. There was magic in a slingshot and things like that. I do think that the newer movie loses a little of that in comparison to both the novel and the miniseries mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't as, as afraid to embrace the, uh, the, the those totems of childhood. Now we get a lot of that in the newer movie, but I didn't think it was done with the same grace, if you will. Mm-hmm. How about the clown? Yeah, <laughs> you got to talk about the clown. Yeah, it, so it's interesting because I, I'm trying to remember back to Curry, and I, I do remember him um, just having more of a presence. Um, to me, uh, you know this. Uh, interpretation of Pennywise is um, uh, almost laughable in some cases, and I think I, I you know, there are definitely moments this is the where Curry that, performance. You mean what's that? This is the Curry's Curry's performance, Tim no, Curry, right? No, I thought Curry's performance was a little more eerie. Um, oh, yeah, oh, you think his was less? And I'm not saying I disagree, but you're saying his was less laughable. You thought uh, Bill Skarsgård's was more. Like laughable, silly. yeah. Okay. In in some cases, and and there were definitely moments where you could tell that was the intended effect. Um, you know, uh, a little bit of a spoiler, you know, but not really because it's in the commercial. You know, you have this old, you know, naked lady kind of running around an apartment. You know, um, and oh, and it, at this point, we should probably yeah point out. I guess we're. Are we talking more about it chapter two now as opposed to chapter one or just the, the whole thing in general? Well, I was just talking about Pennywise in general. Just, okay. yeah, the things that, um, you know, the things that, that he does that makes him a little more, uh, I, you know, I guess uh, silly for, you know, lack of a better word, where, where I just felt, I felt Curry was like creepy, you know, like, you know, just, ooh. Um, but, yeah, I felt like uh, Bill Skarsgård was um, just the the way he played Pennywise was to me not as horrifying as Tim Curry. Um, what were your thoughts on on their performances? Do you get the feeling with Skarsgård, uh, from your perspective, that you, in a sense, you're seeing very little of? Skarsgård's performance as Pennywise, and then it's it's largely ladled on with special effects. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pennywise doesn't have as much screen time as you might imagine. That's probably true of both miniseries, and it's easy, or both. It feels like a miniseries. There's more runtime now to it chapter one and chapter two than there was to the miniseries right. they did in the nineties. 
But the 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 common thread there with the performances is yeah, you're gonna have to have special effects to augment this. And uh yeah, the special effects in the old movie were very cheesy. Uh strangely, some of the special effects in the new movie particularly the new chapter, I thought were actually kind of cheesy too. And not yeah. some of them weren't particularly good. Um, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest, um, I, I think that the effects work was actually a little stronger, although they had a much bigger budget. I think they were a little more reserved in the first movie. Yeah. And honestly, to me, Skarsgård uh, came to the foreground a little bit more what he was doing and what and he's a very different kind of clown. He looks like a, almost more like a, like a medieval sort of court jester sort of right. clown. Uh, he's got the face makeup and everything. And it's a, it's uh, Curry looks like a drunken clown that blew out of a circus or out of some kid's birthday party. And he's now like nursing his hangover down the sewer grate. You know, um, he, he was Bozo, the clown. He was Clarabelle. He was, um, you know, Ronald McDonald. He was coming from that vein of clown. And there's nothing wrong with either choice. Uh, I liked what Skarsgård was doing where he plays it more menacing and he, in the monster is more prominent in the Skarsgård clown, like constantly yes. he's always there and that's menacing, but it's also, I know what you mean about eerie because I always thought of, uh, initially reading it. I always got the feeling of, of the Pennywise character is almost like the lore of a deep sea angler fish. Mm-hmm. You know, it's out there. It's the tip of the iceberg of what this thing actually is, but it's the part that we put out there to lure people in. And I I can't imagine anyone being coaxed in by the Pennywise that Skarsgård is playing. I mean, it's a a grab bag with Curry, but, you know, uh, he has that thing where he's like a clown that a kid could maybe relate to a little bit, and he's playing it big and colorful, and Skarsgård's never – seems like he never loses sight of the fact that he's a monster in a monster movie. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think you're right. I think, um, and I think that is kind of the difference is, you know, there, there are moments where you're looking at this and, and the person's being, you know, drawn to this clown and you're just kind of scratching your head. Like what the, like, wait a minute. No, there's no way. But I think, I think part of that, and you and I talked about this with some of the other elements of the movie, um, th- there's there's something else that is drawing them to this presence. There's something else that keeps pulling them in, and it's not just it's not just the clown. Um, so yeah, you know, I can I can definitely see what you're talking about there. There's an interesting comment that Curry had made back when he was working on the film, too, uh, about his approach to this because in relation to the makeup and, and like, honestly, Curry's makeup, when you get into beyond the actual clown makeup, the actual monster effects, I mean, there are no great shakes. At one point, he looks like he has molded starbursts for sharp teeth, you know, <laughs> but um, but he had when they were getting ready to plan out the makeup and what he would look like, they were going with something much more monstrous, which is sort of what's in the book. And Curry had just recently, uh, this movie was made in 90. Uh, he'd come off a, a couple of different movies. One of them being Ridley Scott's legend. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yep. Big yep. fantasy movie. Yep. Um, Tom and Cruise. That, and, uh, who else? Who was the girl? Mia Sarah. Yep. Mia Sarah was. In it. And it was, uh, but he, Tim Curry plays this darkness, which is this giant, um, almost the the classical devil look, except right. he's got these six pack abs. He's like eight feet tall. He has full blown goat hooves and these giant like 
horns that each one looks like they weigh 60 pounds. There's uh, where is curry inside of that thing? Like, I don't even know. The only part of curry I even recognize is the lips. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> like in the voice, like, I don't know. Hey, that had to be a heavy makeup lift. Uh, you know, like, I don't know. Is it makeup? Is he just in that suit? Is he piloting that like Ripley? I know, right? <laughs> like, I mean, it just, there's so much on him and, and Curry's not a tall dude. So you're looking at this thing and you're like, I, I must've seen that movie several times as a kid. And then I slowly was like, wait, that's Tim Curry is in there. And, uh, he, I think the experience of that movie coupled with a few others made him, make the decision. I don't want to be under all this makeup. I, mm-hmm. I don't think I can perform, give you what you want under all of this. Yeah. You make me up like a clown and I'll do the rest for you, but I don't want all this. And I think that's what makes it more haunting. Like you said, is there's moments when he's being cheerful and goofy and what would become off as asinine in another movie is a little unsettling because no one else can see this clown right. and it's haunting right. them and it's messing with them. And it's, saying crazy goofy things a clown on a kid show would say but it's doing it in a totally inappropriate setting in an inappropriate way in a way that you've got um blood and 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 these creepy images and the monsters around and it just somehow to me that's more worrisome than the full-blown look how hideous i am right yeah yeah no i agree like the the creepy is always more than is always more off-putting than the the full-blown monster you know the monster vibe that you get um you know i mean and you and i you and i talked about that a little bit as we were watching the first movie and we talked a little bit about it too when we after we saw the chapter two you know it's it's always this thing where like wasn't the eighties, the whole thing about not talking to strangers and stay away from strangers and all, you know, stranger, all that stuff. And it's like, here you have these kids walking up to this, you know, obviously, you know, deranged monster clown and, you know, getting close enough to it that, uh, it it can get it. Um, it can get at them. And so, um, I, I think, I think that was part of, to me, what played into, some of the silliness that was in uh, these two movies versus the first one, um, the the miniseries. And again, from what I can remember of the miniseries. Um, oh, it's plenty silly. When you rewatch right, the miniseries, right. it's, that's the benefit of having something that came out so long ago and you haven't revisited. It's like it's it's getting the better shake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I definitely think as far as scary tone goes, there's a better scary tone in the new films. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that ultimately – um, I don't know. I, I I think I might, and I didn't quite feel this way until seeing both of them. But I do think I kind of prefer uh, I'm more on the Curry wavelength. I think than the Skarsgård wavelength, as far as the clown is concerned. Sure, sure. Yep. Let's let's talk about the um, the style the two movies were done in because the first one, um, as I'm remembering back, they were it was kind of shot simultaneously, right? Where they were adults remembering back to where they were kids. Um, which is true of the of the novel too so yeah it's once it's one book it's a huge book it's bigger than some trilogies probably put together <laughs> but uh you could probably take all of lewis's narnia and and it still have a couple extra pages uh in king's book but the um the gist of it was yes we were making they're making a mini series out of this novel and so the job from the very beginning 
1990 was we're going to carve out of this giant book a miniseries that we can put on TV. And given some of the weird things that King has included, and I think you can even go back to the podcast that Greg did many uh, a couple of years back about Stephen King, and they address some of the really crazy things that are in this book. Um, it does go some wild places and some inappropriate for television and inappropriate for anybody places. Right. Uh, but most of those things have been cut out, not just of, of the 90s version, but this version. So they were always carving out a full story. They're going to tell the beginning, the middle, and the end. What's interesting about this is I think in getting the funding for this to be able to do the version that came out in 2000 and uh, I guess 17 now was the fact that they – we're pitching it. Hey, we're going to do the kid story because again, you're coming off of Stranger Things. You're coming off of some of the stuff. It's going to be kind of uh, an easy sell to people. Stephen King kind of coming back into prominence, and so they make this movie. But I don't think that they had secured funding. They had not secured funding or a guarantee that they were going to make a second one. Mm-hmm. It was always Machete's intention to make it, but it wasn't done that way. So when the movie is done, the adult losers have not been cast. And they were making it, I think, with the hopes that we will have, at the very least, if we get nothing else, we'll have this really good version of that story, that part of the story that connected so well with everyone, which is the story of the kids fighting the monster. And I think they did, for the most part, knock that out of the park. I thought, I really do think that's a good movie. And uh, I agree with you a little bit that it's hard in some ways for me to view it as a horror movie exclusively. Um but I think it works in all the, the best ways. Uh, the characters work, the, the the clown works, and the, the monster stuff works. Uh, I, some of the special effects are a little bit overkill, but I think it all worked. Some of what doesn't work as well for me when we get to Chapter 2, I think is down to what you said, is the, the style, the intention. Uh, I think they went a little bit go for broke when they made the 2017 movie, meaning that don't think everyone was 100% sure they were going to make the sequel. So they took almost everything they liked and everything they wanted to say about these characters and put it into that movie. Yeah. And so what, so let's move to part two, I guess. Like, yeah. and would you want to keep it spoiler free, Nathan, or how do you want to approach this? Uh, yeah, we can, um, yeah. we can, we can do our best with that. I think, um, I think if anything that we mention um, from the trailers, we'll be okay, but yeah, we'll try to keep, yeah, We'll try to keep all the other stuff spoiler free with it, and then we'll try to give a warning if if we do a little bit at the end. So, um, yeah, go go ahead and talk about that, Nathan. Kind of continue on um, some of the things that you thought were were lacking in uh, the it chapter two. Yeah, and I guess oh, I guess is where we can give our uh, let's see if we can do this the one line movie review if you could only do one line well we'll do more than this but in terms of our thoughts on the movie you know if you could do one line that if if you had to lay a blurb out there and you couldn't say anything else about it what would you say about it Mm. you know it chapter two yeah um i think i have mine which is that it was uh it was very it was uh very flawed yeah it was very long uh but it was also very entertaining yeah yep I so what I will say is and and I said this to you at the theater the story that they told in it chapter 2 I felt like they could have told in either a shorter amount of time and you brought this this point up the second point that um the story that they told they actually should have just gone longer with it and told more so um, if that makes any sense, I feel like the story that we got from it, chapter two, the, the movie is, is over three hours long. 
Um, not by much, but it but it is over. I think three it's hours. I think it's under three hours, it? but it's not under by much. It's, okay. It's, okay, it's right on the line. It's about the same length. It ain't far off from Avengers Endgame, and that's right. not even a, a, a joke. And in some ways, it almost plays like Avengers yeah. Endgame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so I felt like the story that that we got on screen uh, could have been told to us. And we really wouldn't have been missing much in a shorter amount of time. Um, but on the same token, what you said, and I agree with it, Nathan, is that if they had actually told us this story and made it longer, it might have been a better story. Um, and so that's that. That's kind of my thoughts on it is I would have been interested. And I, and I actually – I am kind of interested because from what I understand – they're going to be releasing a um, a, a version of uh, particularly it chapter two that has a lot more content in it, um, a director's edition or a director's cut, so to speak. Um, and so I'm I'm kind of fascinated to see what they do with that. But I I agree it was wildly entertaining, but not nearly as good as the first one. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it was always going to be a heavy lift, a difficult thing to do because of the fact that uh, there's a lot of like the, to be perfectly honest, as a fan of King and as a fan of the novel, it um, there's a lot of things wrong with what is sort of the second half of this, and it's yeah. it's a, it's it's compounded by the fact that they pulled a lot of the juice out to make the other movie. Although I'm happy that they did, and they one of the things I was impressed by or was appreciated is that they. The structure of the second half is still very much like the structure of the old miniseries and of the novel, where they do give us enough flashbacks and enough uh, intercut. Because now this is, is twenty some twenty seven years later, yep. uh, this creature has returned and it's out of its dormant stage. But most of the these characters don't remember what happened to yep. them twenty seven years ago. It's been two years for us and watching the movie, but these characters don't. And so. Um, it's weird because King uses that for a different method again to replay the helplessness now as an adult, yep. you know, uh, and then, and then now they're facing this helplessness in a new way because they don't even have those reserves of sort of magical uh, innocence that they had as kids, where they felt they could go up against a a, a clown with a with an inhaler and a right. slingshot. You know, they are far more um, uh, ill-equipped in some ways to handle it now than they were uh, originally. And that sort of just needed to gist of all the stories. Um, what happens here, though, is when those were playing simultaneously, there was a greater deal of suspense. We were learning how they defeated it as children alongside what they were doing as adults. And that creates a, a, the story as a whole piece. And here, it, it really feels like you're rehashing it. They kind of go through all the same motions that they did. Uh, we, because of the need to sort of make this, the 2017 movie a standalone, some of those kids conquer some of their fears and the struggles they were having that were outside of the clown uh, in the first movie when, in, in, in fact, they don't really fully uh, make peace with those demons until they're adults. And so now we're watching them having forgotten what they did the first time and doing it again. And it just simply isn't as interesting uh, on that level. Um, I like some of the Pennywise. I actually thought some of the Pennywise stuff was a little bit scarier in this movie, uh, some of it, particularly stuff involving the kids. Although my caveat with that is I'm not sure if I liked 
uh, when we start to put the kids into danger, there's a couple of scenes. There's one scene that works almost as well as anything Curry did. It uh, takes place under the bleachers at a yes. football game, yep. which is horribly creepy, yep. uh, I thought, and was to me the most um, probably potentially disturbing thing in the movie um, that worked in the way it was supposed to be disturbing. Um yep. It pushed the line, but it did have me sort of being like, okay, I thought that was when the clown, I think it was his creepiest. It's also probably the point where he is uh, playing the anglerfish, like we talked yes. about. Like, it's the moment yes. where he's most most trying to be the deceiver. Um, and you start, and there's another point where we see him where it's a scar scar and really just the white clown makeup. Kind of like, you know, when you get a hint of what that performance could have been like. And I like that, too. Yep. You know, there's a moment he makes himself visible to one of the kids and uh, he's just got the white pancake makeup on. And um, I was like, I'd be interested in seeing that performance uh, done a little bit more like that. So those scenes were good. The casting is amazing. Yes. I mean, I thought the casting yes. was great. Strangely to me, the one who came out about the weakest was uh, James McAvoy. He's still good. I don't know if it's because I've seen McAvoy in so much stuff, but I, I, I think that um, – I was expecting maybe something a little stronger there. Mm-hmm. He's fine. Maybe it's also that uh, it seems like they don't quite know what to do with Bill Denbro in this version. Uh, they've they've taken so many pieces that belong to him and sort of divvied them up among the other characters that I didn't. I had a hard time getting a good handle on him. They give him a side story uh, that's different than the book, and I thought it was going one direction, and I wasn't really happy where that went. This the side plot involving a kid who lives in the house he grew up in. Yeah. And I thought they really mismanaged that um, in such a way that it was constantly distracting me from his storyline. Yeah. Uh, who did you think the best of the new cast was? Uh, you have to pick your top three. Um, top three, I think uh, Bill Bill Heater was uh, did a phenomenal job in this. Oh, he I was think, he was by far the standout. Yeah, yeah, I think I think his his job and uh, what he did, his performance was. Uh, just uh, mind blowing. I think he did a great job with that. Um, We're going to see that again at Oscars. I'm pretty certain oh, a really? nomination at least. I think. Yeah. I think he's got a nomination in it. Yeah. I, I again. I just. I thought. I thought his job was just phenomenal. I mean, he it, the the role that he took on in in bringing, um, you know, his that that childhood persona in in. You know, placing that on him as an adult, and and even the things that he works through as an adult. You know, the 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 quote unquote demons that he has to face, both literal and figurative, that he has to face. I think are uh, the most interesting, and I think they do they do the best job with developing his character in this. Um, the the second person that I thought was great was um, what was the name of the kid who was the uh, the chubby Eddie- one. Oh, oh, um, Ben. Yes, uh, Ben. Um, and and I actually, I really, I enjoyed that actor. I don't know if you ever saw the uh, show Beauty and the Beast that came out with Kristen uh, Crook several years ago. Oh, um, I should see a little bit of it. Yes. So he was in that, and I actually, I enjoyed his performance in that. Um, I thought he did a really good job with uh, with that show. Um, so I actually, I really enjoyed him in this as well. Um, one of the but, things I liked about that particular casting is that's the character that, you know, it's the classic um, uh, ugly duckling becomes a swan kind of yes. deal. Not that, you know, not that that little boy is ugly, but, you know, he's a little uh, in a very, very like um, he was a very appealing actor in the original 
in the 2017 version of the little boy. Yeah, you know, but he's very heavy set. He's very heavy, overweight. He, but his smile, he's at this really great infectious smile. What I thought was neat was they did such a nice job of what matching up these characters so that they actually did look like they could have grown into these people. Yes. and the thing is now you got the hunk that the fat kid used to be, and right. that never works. Like you never look at that, think, oh yeah, you were that kid, but but. But he's got the same laugh lines yes. as the little boy. And yes. you can look in his face and see, yeah, I, I can see how you came from that. And that, to me, that that bridge did as much as any of the acting between the two to really make you feel like, oh, yeah, this is the same guy. The guy who was the, the actor playing Eddie Kasparik was like yes. that kid grown up. That was, yes. I mean, that was just, there was <laughs> no... That was so perfect. The the job that he did there was so great. And I thought the thought the acting of Eddie's character in the the miniseries was very strong too. Yeah. Uh, but it was good. It was good here. Um, I agree what you said about um, Hader, and he, he gives it just a strong performance. It's not it, it, because it's one thing to play the goofy guy or the sarcastic guy. It's another thing to play the guy that lets like you let you see the pain that makes him the sarcastic. Yes. Goofy guy. There's a moment in this movie, and there's a lot of really strong moments. I just felt that there was too much. The movie's overstuffed. I've never watched. Oh, I'm, it's not true. I've watched many of them, but it's always <laughs> a weird experience for me when I watch a two and a half hour or longer movie and feel like I got no real handle on the characters overall. Like you want, you want a more character development. Like you, you these except for haters' character, you don't really get much growth for them because right. they're all sort of spinning out. I think because we left so much of Richie's story. Um, to be discovered, he's the only one who isn't just recycling the things that already happened to him. But there's a moment of like grief in this movie, uh, performance of someone grieving that to me was like very, um, I mean, it positively speaking to what the movie did, uh, uncomfortable to watch. Like it was almost as uncomfortable as watching an actual person grieve in front of you over you know a fresh loss. Does that yes. make sense? Yeah. You know what oh, I'm yeah. talking about? Like yes. I watched that and I felt very um moved by it it like unexpectedly so yes because it was not long after i just watched like you know just all heck break loose special effects wise and then there's this moment and i was just like blown away by that moment more than anything else i think in the movie and i just thought i wanted so much more of that um the Mike Hanlon character gets really shortchanged here. Um, the actor's doing an excellent job, and I want to see much more of Mike. What I, he did, yes, and yes. he stayed in the town. Um, I could watch Mike Hanlon, the miniseries about him just investigating the it stuff, and probably be just uh, enjoy it more than maybe all of this histronics that we get with the special effects and all that. Yep. Yeah, no, I I agree completely. I think um, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, he his I, I really wanted so much more of of Mike in this movie, and um, you know, I mean that that guy's just got a great cadence and tempo to his deliverance of everything as well. I mean, you could just you could sit there and listen to that guy speak all the time. You know, just and, and it was and, such a short change. They just they yeah. didn't give him his due really at all. I didn't think. Yeah. Um, Chastain was great. I wanted yep. to see more of her. Yeah. Yep. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, what about, um, what did you think of um, how they handled Stan? I was going to bring that up because this is a part where I don't, uh, I almost, I'm going to do my best. Um, I guess we can put a little mild spoiler warning here because I'm going to try not to spoil it, but I'd talk around it. Um, every fiction, every, you know, story, uh, most of the, of the really good stories, you know, we, we, 
it's funny you think back to things. We think of Lord of the Rings. We think of all these stories, and we have characters coming together. And uh, no one remembers that there were more than two hobbits that left, or more than four hobbits that left the right. Shire, right? Right. Or like there was a fifth one. No one knows about him because he stayed next to the tree. Right. You know, you wouldn't go any further, and uh, you didn't get to have all those adventures and all those breakfasts. But the in this story too, you know, when the losers are going to go come and come back. Um, Stanley's not present, and there's a reason why. There's a reason. The, the reason is the same in all three iterations. Uh, it's fleshed out much more in the book, and it does deal with some of Stanley's specific dealings with it when he was a kid. Um, uh, and the, when the, the, the gist, too, is that, the, like we said, not all of them remember, and uh, right. it seems like that maybe Stanley does. I actually, and I didn't really feel this way, I, I, I didn't. I was I knew they were were kind of toying with things when I saw the the movie the uh, the night we watched it, but it wasn't until afterwards that it, something about that left me a little uneasy with the way they handle mm-hmm. Stanley. Uh, they want the 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 movie wants to really make him have a presence in here, but like the others, they don't give him enough character development to really see who he become. Yes, uh, and and there's a reason for why we don't get a lot of that, but they do something that feels a little. It's weird. It, it's weird because of what it actually says. Like yeah. there's a moment meant to be in an emotional thing, and it reminded me a lot. We uh, these these after the fact letters like we get in stuff like Stranger Things. Yeah. There's uh there's an after fact letter that seems like a really nice coda to something, but when you think about what it's saying, right? When you think about the message it's sending. I'm a little bit concerned by it. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, in a movie with giant monster clowns, I guess you, it, it sounds weird to be concerned about anything, but that's a weird message. Like, if yeah. you hear the message that he's saying and you take it for what's being said, um, I think that could be hurtful, actually. Sure, you know? sure. Um, people may not know what I'm talking about, but it's uh, the message it's sending in the story is not, I think the same one that could be taken by someone who's watching this and contemplating the things that Stanley contemplates in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. That I don't know if you felt that way. If I went too serious in that moment of watching it, if I, you know, yeah. should have been. Yeah, no, actually that's, it, um, that's exactly what came to my mind as well as, um, some other, um, you know, some other in light of some more popular shows that have come out, uh, more recently, um, that's exactly what uh, came to my mind, what you were talking about. And I, I just feel like, um, you know, we, we talked about Stranger Things. And so I'll, I'll use the spoiler of Stranger Things, you know, um, the, that after letter we get, you know, from Hopper is just so um, heart wrenching, you know, and so emotional. But I think it's because um, – the way the letter has to be uh, given and handled in that situation is just very different than I think this has to be done. Um, you well, know, that's it, a case of you're taking a letter intended for something else and you're giving it a level of different context. The script, the script writing just there. It's always intended to be at the end, but the character doesn't intend to. The character writes it with no idea of what is happening to him later. You know, right, right. Uh, it's 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 the irony of it that makes it poignant. You know, right. Uh, the screenwriters always know, but the characters don't know. And this is a little bit different. But it it, it wasn't even the way it functioned in the story. It was just the when you think about what Stanley's saying, right, and the the nature of this potential heroic thing is like. I don't. I wouldn't want my. I wouldn't want anyone to hear that and think 
Oh yeah, That's you know okay. what? That yeah. makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. As a yeah. astonishing lack of lack of self care in that in that sentiment, I think that's being played. But um, yeah, I think if you like Stephen King, if you liked it, you're going to probably like this one. I, I would be surprised though to see if anyone who really felt it was a lot stronger than the other one. Um, King put so much unimaginably weird stuff into that last uh, part of the book that it would have been hard to to make that happen. I do like that they went pretty big. Like when we get, we do get some big bombastic stuff. Yeah. And I, I, I know I probably always sound like I hate special effects stuff. I actually <laughs> love things when they're when it's done right. I love it. And I do think that the big confrontation at the end with it has a kind of epic feel that I wanted to see. Yeah. And I and I and actually. I'm going to say I think that they stick the landing on the ending, the actual ending um, leading up to the confrontation and everything that flows from the confrontation. It's better than the book. Mm. I think that they make it more emotional in, in the book. Uh, the tones that they're hitting there in that very end, I think, are pretty strong. How did you feel about it? I mean, with with all the special effects, with all the that's the moment when I thought everything was sort of synergized and working together. The acting, the the horror the uh, there was a couple silly moments that were sort of pinging me out of it there was like almost scooby-doo like scene there like with the three doors and i was like whoa what's happening here right um but but so much of that was really firing on all the cylinders it's like i've often said like sometimes a movie is so good it makes it makes you think about how it could have been so much better yeah yeah and and to your point like there's so I, I have not uh, read the book, you know, full disclaimer on that. I've not read the book, but I know enough about it from people who have read it um, that I feel like, excuse me, some of those trippier moments where you're looking at it going, how is that going to possibly translate on the big screen? I felt like those things were handled very well. Um, the the process that they go through to figure out how they're going to defeat this creature, I thought, you know what, that's actually kind of neat the way they did it, and I felt like it played into a, as much of a realistic setting as you could have in this case in this type of a movie without being weird and over the top. Um, and so, yeah, I you know I I did enjoy. The ending and the way everything kind of came together and played up, uh, you know, I did enjoy that um, that scene that you were talking about with the three doors because it was like it went back to the first movie where they they encountered this and it's like, but it's, it wasn't so much the doors; it was almost behind. The yeah, doors. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I I enjoyed it in and of itself. It just it was a weird. Uh, it was a weird departure for for in the middle of, of what was going on. Yeah, epic throwdown. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I would agree with that. But um, it every and I think that's part of what made this movie a little uh, not as good as the first one because in the first one, again, I don't feel like there were throwaway moments. I think everything was played up and done very well and very intentionally. And, and, you know, you and I have already talked about that. Like they went big, you know, go big or go home. And they went big and they did a good job. This one, I felt like there were more of those throwaway moments in there that just were out of place and out of sync for 
for the story. But you're right. The ending was done very well. Um, it was big. The special effects were great. Um, you know, the confrontation of what they were really facing, what they were really going to have to do in order to defeat it and, um, you know, uh, trying to trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to do this and, and getting in and working together and, and bringing it all to a close. I just I, I thought it was very well done, um, especially in light of the fact that particularly in this one, um, you know, King is not necessarily known for his great endings. Um, you know, that's kind of a recurring theme. And you're right. I feel like this movie did a good job at bringing the ending justice. Yeah, I think so. Um, cup the just very very quick things I wanted to mention um, in in terms of the movie. It was interesting. I did. I thought they did a nice job. There's a scene that most people who read the book will recognize, which is really the opening. It, it's it's one of the opening scenes of the book in terms of like what uh, reveals to us the the horror of uh, Pennywise. It's the scene involving uh, at the takes place at the carnival at oh, the yes. fair. Yep, and the. Um, the, there's an act of violence there, which is far more disturbing, really, than Pennywise or anything else uh, yeah. that goes on in the movie. And it really, I think the kind of darkness there that shows what's kind of under the heart of Derry and how it's symbiotic with Pennywise itself, um, I want to see a little bit more of that. Not those kinds of actions, but that level of horror and that level of distaste that's in those scenes, uh, it makes you feel uneasy, you know? And I yeah. think that the movie could have used a little bit more of that to punch, to punch it up a little bit. I did like the original book. Um, King when King says one of the reasons he was thinking writing it was have it was thinking of all the monsters that scared him as a kid. Thing iconic things: the Wolfman and Dracula and Frankenstein's monster. And uh, how do you get all those things into a movie like without just being like Abbott and Costello, right? Like they right, all yeah. show up. Like how do all these guys get here? And so the idea of having a thing that can be whatever you are most fixated on or afraid of in the moment. And so there was a parade of those '50s monsters. And of course, I think a lot of people thought, hey, when the '80s come around. Uh, we're going to have Freddy and, and, and Jason and all these things. And uh, no, they didn't do that. They didn't go that way. It was probably better that they didn't. And right. yet here in this movie, no, we don't get Freddy or Jason. But there is an iconic 80s monster that shows up. And it's like perfectly homaged because it also ties into like what's going on kind of with it. I thought that was kind of smart and brilliant. Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the moment, yeah, I, I, when it happened, I instantly knew like what movie I was looking at, and it's not the one I think people would think you would pick, um, but it was an eighty iconic eighties monster. Um, so yeah, I lo- I, I liked uh, that. I thought um, very weird use of just call me Angel in yeah. this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so weird, so weird, and so quick, and so quickly forgotten. Um, yeah. But um, <laughs> but oh my gosh. Um, Sophie Lillis, I think, was one of the standouts in the the original who played young Beverly, and she's good here again. I realize I don't think we mentioned her, but she was probably, to me, the big standout of the first movie in terms of like, wow, you kind of knocked it out of the park, what you were trying to do. Yeah. And I think Bill Hader was the, the that force in this movie. So, yeah, it's uh, I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to Dr. Sleep, uh, which is coming out soon, directed by Mike Flanagan, which is the sequel to The Shining. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's interesting that they're making so many 
references to the Kubrick Shining because King hates that version. Right. And this is very specifically based off a book he did write. So I'll be I'm interested to see what that segue looks like. That doesn't mean that I mean I happen to love the Kubrick Shining. I'm curious to see what they do with it. But it that that will be interesting. So Yeah. Yep. And that might be another one you can uh you can get me to go and see. We'll 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 have to we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, <laughs> but no, this is uh, this has been great, Nathan. Really glad that we were able to you know get together and do this. Um, we're we're hoping you know maybe uh, maybe down the road we can get Greg on here and uh, you know maybe for a special um, Halloween episode we can do something a little a little different and uh, and talk horror in general. But we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, oh yeah, and you're talking about upcoming movies, man. I'm excited for Ad Astra with Brad Pitt and oh, Tommy yeah. Lee Jones sci-fi yeah. movie. That's the big one on my radar right now. It comes out in uh, I think two weeks, next weekend maybe. Yep. And um, I'm I'm pretty uh, excited about that. It's kind of flying under the radar. Uh, I love science fiction, and I do really like that director James Gray. He's done a lot of really good stuff. Um, let me throw this out there: anyone who's interested in sort of uh, those old style adventure movies, you know, the Lost Tribes and that sort of thing, uh, the Lost City of Z. Have you ever seen that movie, Nathan? I have not. It's on Amazon Prime, isn't it? It is. Couple years old. I str- I highly recommend it. Um, it's on there now. Uh, director's James Gray. He's got Ad Astra coming out in a couple weeks, and I I think it's a really good movie. So nice. Nice. I'll have to uh, check that one out. Maybe we can go see the uh, movie together and, and do another uh, do another review here. Yeah, sounds great. Dan, thanks for uh, having me on. Take care. Absolutely. All right, we'll catch you later. Nathan, we just rocked the Casbah. These go to 11.